Good morning, and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins, and I just want to pause for a moment and say thank you to everyone who is listening and tuning into the podcast. Our daily listenership between all the episodes is 55 to 60 people. Our weekly listenership is somewhere between 150 to 200 different people listening to different podcasts or listening to the same podcast again. Some are repeats, but um, it's the statistics just mesmerize me that people are interested in the topic and and that they tune in to a little podcast that I do each day, uh, pretty much each day, just on my cell phone. Um, I don't have a lot of professional sound equipment or anything. I'm, I'm just doing this on Anchor on the app and with my cell phone and trying to kind of help folks understand the book of Revelation. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who listens, to those of you who have left comments to me on Facebook or sent me an email. Uh, you are absolutely welcome to to access me. My email address is Revelation Power Book, all one word, Revelation Power Book at gmail.com. And I welcome any feedback. You can find me on LinkedIn under my name, Kevin Hopkins. You can probably find me on Facebook, though there are quite a few more Kevin Hopkinses. But uh, you're welcome to contact me, ask me questions, uh, ask that I cover something in particular in a podcast. A couple of times I've, I've done that because people have asked. So uh, thank you for everything that you've made this experience. I didn't know how long it would go, if anyone would have an interest, but it, it's been very rewarding. So today we are back to Revelation chapter 14. And we're down to verse 13. And John now hears a voice from heaven. He says, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this. How fortunate indeed are the dead who die in the Lord, says the Spirit, that they might rest from their labors, for their works follow after them. Then I looked and saw a white cloud, and upon the cloud was seated one like a human being with a golden wreath upon his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple, exclaiming with a loud voice to the one seated upon the cloud, Swing your sickle and harvest, for the hour to harvest has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. The one sitting upon the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was harvested. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he had in his hand a sharp pruning knife. Yet another angel emerged from the temple, the one from the altar of fire, and called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp pruning knife, Use your sharp pruning knife, and gather the clusters of grapes from the vineyard which is the earth, for its grapes are ripe. Then the angel swung his pruning knife across the earth and gathered the vintage of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress was trodden outside of the city and blood flowed from the winepress to the height of the bridles of the horses for a distance of 180 miles. 
Wow. So there are two harvests here, but first a blessing. How fortunate are those who die in the Lord for they might rest from their labors and their works follow after them. How fortunate are those who die in the Lord. So it's a blessing in the book of Revelation to die as a subject of Jesus Christ, right? They die in the Lord. They belong to him. They're covered by his grace and by his person. The other group of people who die, not so fortunate. And we are given then this parable, story, account of exactly what the angel means. The first harvester sits on a white cloud. It's not God. The Bible says, I looked. John says, I looked and I saw what looks like a person sitting on a cloud with a golden wreath upon his head. He wears the crown of victory. And another angel came and said, swing your sickle and harvest. And so he swings his sickle and the earth was harvested. What is a sickle used to harvest? Grain. The sickle cuts the stalks of grain. The heads are threshed out and the grain is collected and kept in bins. Grain is a preserved harvest. It's kept for making bread or making pastry or feeding to animals or making other types of food or planting as seed for the next grain crop. Grain is kept. Then there's another angel comes out of the temple and he has in his hand a sharp pruning knife the kind that's used to harvest grapes. Grapes are harvested by the bunch and they're cut from the vine with a little curved pruning knife. This angel has a pruning knife and another angel, interestingly enough, the one from the altar of fire comes out and says, swing your knife and harvest. And he swings his knife and the grapes of the earth are harvested and thrown into the wine press of God's wrath, where they will be smashed. See the difference? The harvest of grain is preserved. The harvest of grapes is smashed. And this harvest, the juice from this harvest, is not kept because it's, it's blood. It's tragedy. It's death. And we're not told how vast was the harvest of the grain. It's almost as though it's not as big. But the harvest of grapes that are smashed in the wine press of God's wrath is trodden outside the city. Uh, that doesn't mean they stomp the grapes with their feet. Uh, to tread the wine press could be to, to attach it to animals who walk in a circle and as they walk, the weight of the press, one big stone on top presses down towards another stone on the bottom and the grapes are smashed in between. But at whatever rate, the wine press is manipulated to smash the grapes and the blood flowed from the wine press as high as the bridles on the horses 
for a distance of 180 miles in every direction. In a 180 mile circle. Uh, That's a lot of territory. It's a physical impossibility, right? You understand liquid dynamics. You can't, you couldn't produce blood fast enough to pile it up six feet high or five feet high in a 180 mile radius. There just wouldn't be a way to physically do that. Liquid doesn't pile up that fast. But that's how overwhelming this judgment against the unrighteous is. And that's really what's at work here, right? The blessing is, blessed are those who die in the Lord, for they'll rest from their labors, and their works will follow them. And their works will follow them. See, it reminds me again of the the picture that Jesus gave of the final judgment. And, And his disciples were like, what? They asked him, what will it be like in the final judgment? And Jesus said, well, here's how the final judgment will go. My father will separate the sheep on his right from the goats on his left. And he'll say to the ones on the right, enter into heaven prepared for you because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and alone and you came and found me. And as I said before, they asked the clueless question, when did we ever see you this way, Lord? And he says, well, as you did it to the least of my brothers, you did it to me. And they trundle off cluelessly into heaven. Then he turns to the goats on his left and says, depart from me into hell because I was all those things. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You gave me nothing to drink. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and alone and you didn't come looking for me. And they ask the same question. Lord, when did we ever see you like that and not minister to you? And he says, as you didn't do it, to the least of my brothers, you didn't do it for me. You see, I believe that we're saved by grace through faith. It's what the Bible says. It's pretty easy to believe that when the Bible says that. But here in the story that Jesus tells about the judgment. Now, if it were the apostle Paul telling this story, I could maybe argue against it. If it were Peter, I would certainly argue against it because Peter wasn't that bright. But this is Jesus talking, and he says, this is how the judgment will go. And while you're saved by grace through faith, your judgment will be all about works. You'll be judged by the works of your life. And again, here in the book of Revelation, in chapter 14, verse 13, blessed are those who die in the Lord, that they might rest from their labors for their works will follow after them, or their works will remain with them. Wow. You're going to take to the next life the works you did or did not do. And Jesus portrays the judgment as totally based on you didn't feed, you didn't water, you didn't clothe, you didn't visit. It's all works. We'll be judged on our works. And it isn't that it isn't that the unrighteous in that story willingly and knowingly did wrong. 
They're just as clueless as the righteous people. Lord, when did we ever see you in that situation and not do for you? Jesus says, you didn't recognize it was me. (laughs) You thought it was someone unworthy. You thought it was a lesser than person. As you didn't do it for the least of these, not just the lesser than, because you didn't do it for the least. And, And God doesn't rank people, right? He's talking about our ranking. As you didn't do it for the one you considered to be the least of my brothers. Every time I drive through a major city, and you know how it is now, at every intersection, at every traffic exchange overpass, here they are with their signs, the creative and the dismal. Need a transplant, anything helps, right? And yet the person's standing out in a hundred degree sun and and standing there, look to be doing just fine. I don't know what kind of transplant they might need, right? It's easy to question. Some of them say, unemployed, anything helps. And, and I'm like, hey, I just passed the Home Depot a quarter mile back. Hop in the car, I'll take you back there. We can apply for a job, right? And if you offer that, they turn you down. No, no, I'm I'm good. I don't get in cars with strangers. Okay, I understand that. But about 400 yards back that way, there's a Home Depot, and they've got signs out in front that they're desperately seeking help. There's a McDonald's across the street that says they'll pay $15 an hour to start and a $1,000 signing bonus. So, you know, one of those two places that help you, they're not interested in that. They're looking for a handout. And I saw a statistic the other day that in the large city closest to me, the panhandlers make about forty-five to $47,000 a year each, and they pay no taxes on that. That's all take home. That's like making something like $58,000 a year before taxes. That's, that's more than I make, right? I mean, it's, it's a little crazy. I saw one lady, it's been two or three years ago, but she was panhandling. I was shopping and I was sitting in the parking lot waiting for the people in the store to bring my stuff out. It was during the coronavirus. And I'm watching this panhandling lady out at the corner uh, of the intersection by the store. And as I wait on the, in the folks, she leaves her corner puts her sign in her backpack, picks up her backpack, and comes walking out into the parking lot. And I just watched her. And she comes to a brand new car. It's not a new used car. It's a brand new car with the dealer sticker still on it. And she hits the unlock button and she gets in. Well, I fired up my car and I pulled up beside her and I rolled down my window. She rolled hers down. I said, hey, nice car. She said, thanks, I just got it. I said, my goodness, how do you afford a car like that? And you're panhandling. And she rolled up her window and she drove away. And and it's hard to not think those crooks in my heart. But God kind of stops me and says, least of these. You don't know what that person faces. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what their life is like. So if you know me, I haven't always been this way, but 
I am more and more, I do sometimes stop and hand money to people. Because there was a time when I was unemployed. There was a time when I owned three houses in different parts of the United States and couldn't live in any of them. I was virtually homeless, though I owned three homes. It was the craziest time in my life. But I've been there when I didn't own a coat that I could get to. I I was in Seattle in the rain without a raincoat, without a warm coat. And so a friend took me to the, the store and bought me a coat because he had mercy on me. I've been there. And so there are times that I look at those people and I try to discern, but I'm just not able. I can't see their hearts. And so I give them a buck or two. And sometimes my friends who are with me say, hey, you know they're just going to spend that on alcohol. That's not my problem. I wasn't called to dictate what they spend, what I give them on. I was called to gift them what is in my heart to give them. You see the righteous and the unrighteous in Jesus' little story, they're both exactly as clueless. When did we ever see you like that and do anything for you? Well, Jesus says, when you did it for the least of my brothers, you did it for me. I can't judge what my generosity goes for. Once I let it go, it's not mine anymore. And the truth is, it wasn't mine to start with. It all belongs to God, right? It's all His. That's what I believe. And out of His abundance, He gives me a a bit. In fact, He blesses me generously. And so, it's God's money. I'm holding it temporarily. And if he needs me to give it to somebody else, I turn part of it loose and it's God's. It was his to start with. It's his still. And wherever it goes from there is God's problem. The Bible says, be careful how you treat strangers because many have entertained angels and not been aware of it. Wow. There's part of the harvest that is gathered to keep. It's the preserved part of the harvest. It's the grain. It's the bread. It's the staff of life. It is the life. That's the harvest that's blessed. And and that's the harvest I want to be part of. There's another harvest. Just as there were sheep and goats, right and left, There's another harvest, it's the grapes. The grapes that are destined for wrath. The Battle Hymn of the Republic, he is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. Yeah, that's from this account in the book of Revelation. The grapes are harvested with a a pruning knife and thrown into the wine press where they suffer the wrath of God and they are crushed. And the blood runs five feet high in a hundred mile, 180 mile radius. It's, it's physically impossible, but it's not a physical picture. It's a spiritual depiction of what's coming. Two judgments, right? There are two judgments here. 
one for the grain and one for the grapes, one for the righteous and one for the unrighteous, one for those who pleased God, who died in the Lord, and another for those who died without him, without, on the outside, right? That's the exact opposite. Blessed are those who die in the Lord rather than those who die without, on the outside of him. It's just a little, it's just a quick little vignette here in the last part of chapter 14. It's how the judgment's going to be. The judgment was pronounced in the last section. And and then it's it's carried out against first Babylon, the the religious and government structures that lead to compromise and corruption. And here it's carried out against people, individuals who are in the Lord or outside the Lord. I just want to encourage you. If you're a Christian today, your judgment has already been had. Your fate has already been decided. Your future has already been laid out into eternity. The moment you accepted Jesus Christ, you became a citizen of the kingdom of God and you began your eternal life. Now, it's going to get a lot better than it is here, I promise. But it's already started. If you're living on the outside today, it's a dangerous place. You are in danger, mortal danger. Because those who are outside the Lord... They have to bear the judgment for their own sins. They themselves have to bear the responsibility for their own sin because they haven't accepted a Redeemer. They haven't asked for a Redeemer to cover their sin, to forgive their sin. It's the only difference between the righteous and the unrighteous is that one group has already confessed their sin and said, Lord, I'm a a raunch sinner and I deserve to go to hell. But I'm asking you to forgive my sin and be my Lord. Direct my steps from this day on so that I can be in you and not on the outside. You don't need a movie or a, or a book series to scare people that they might get left behind. People who are on the outside of God's will, by and large, know They're just afraid that they've done so many bad things that he won't take them in. I once knelt at the altar with a guy who was just grieving over whatever it was that he came to the altar for. And so I knelt down beside him and I said, how how can I pray with you this morning? He said, Pastor, I need forgiveness. I need forgiveness really bad. I said, okay, well, God will forgive you. He said, you don't you don't know what I've done. I said, well, I don't have to. If you want to confess to me, I'll, I promise you I'll listen. I'll keep it in confidence, but, but you don't have to. You can confess it to God and he'll forgive you. I'll pray for that with you. And he looked at me with almost this desperation in his eyes. And he said, I don't know if God can forgive me for what I've done. 
You don't know how bad it is, Pastor. I just don't know if God can forgive me. And I said, my dear friend, that's all he does. God couldn't have a relationship with any of us if he didn't forgive us for things that deserve death. There isn't to God a bad sin and a worse sin. It's all the same. It's either black or it's white. To God, there aren't 256 shades of gray. There's right and there's wrong. There's righteous and there's unrighteous. There's guilty and there's forgiven. No one is innocent. And I promised him that God would forgive him, and we prayed. When we were done praying, he he stood up and he reached his hands toward the ceiling, and he began to shout, I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. Just filled the church. He was yelling so loudly. It was obvious that, that God had set him free. He'd moved in a moment's time from understanding he was an outsider to being in Christ Jesus and free of his old sin. Can I encourage you to be that guy? If you're on the inside, accept the blessing of those who are in Christ Jesus and don't fear when this life is over because it'll just be passing from one glory into another glory, as the Bible says. If today you feel like you're on the outside, can I promise you, can I encourage you that God will forgive you? Just bring it to him. If you need to confess to someone, find someone you trust that you know will keep it in confidence and tell them, I need your I need your help to find God's forgiveness. Here's what I've done. Can we pray about this? If they're a Christian, they'll pray with you about it. But don't carry it. Don't carry shame and guilt and all that ugliness around inside. It's killing you. Turn it loose and be free. Find God's forgiveness in your life and then walk in that blessing.